Hey, this is Sean Farfara, host of the Kitchener Rangers on Rogers TV, and you're listening to the Sheriff Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to an exclusive episode of The Sheriff. Guys, today I have a gentleman that I truly admire inside and out. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we have all been part of a hockey team at some point of our lives. If it was just on the street playing before dinner time as a kid, or if it was part of a competitive team. But we've all had teammates in hockey, and most of them we actually forget. But there's a handful of them, ladies and gentlemen, that we don't forget. My guest today played 16 seasons as a player, coach, and general manager in Germany. He is known as Mr. Ace Hockey. He is the founder of Stop Concussions. He is the current host of Gooch Live. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Mr. Kerry Goulet. How are you doing this evening, my friend? Hey, wow. You, hang on, let me just check. Is that me? Is that all the things you took? Well, thank you very much for that very kind uh, intro. And uh, listen, uh, the one thing that you said that is so poignant is the fact that uh, playing on a team, you always find teammates you love. Uh, I didn't get a chance to play with you. I heard a lot about you. I would have you on my team anytime. So really excited to be on your show. Uh, I love the share. Hey, listen, I was that type of player that needed a sheriff around me because I was a little bit of a yapper, not very tough. So I really respect what you guys do, I'll tell you. Well, I'm really excited to have you on my show, um, Carrie. And, and one of the reasons is, is because I really want to kind of magnify what it's like to be more than just a hockey player. Now, man, I like I'm going to be honest with my listeners. I met you recently. I feel that I've known you for a very long time now, Carrie, but I've met you very recently. What I've learned from you is is unbelievable. I've, the story that you told me, I feel so blessed to know you because really, Carrie, I wish that I could have mirrored your career on what you did off the ice, like how you did during your career. Like, I wish I could have done that. I tried to do a lot off the ice, but I wish I knew about you, man, so I could have looked up to someone, got more ideas, so on and so forth. But Carrie, to be honest with you, I want to start from the beginnings, buddy. I want to talk about the peg. I want to talk about Winnipeg and your family growing up, man. What was uh, it like? Do I call you Sheriff or Shano? You can call me anything you want. You're the special guest. My hey, listen, I really, I, I really appreciate your kind words. And, and I think what happens when you be, define yourself as a hockey player, it's more like a family. We're family. And what I find is everywhere I travel now, whether it's Germany, Australia, New Zealand, anywhere in the world, my skates are basically my passport to the world. And, and what it's allowed me to do is to be able to bring this great game of ours, Canadians, uh, as we saw last night when the, uh, the ladies beat the Americans, um, it allowed me to get into a, a new friendship of, of not only ice hockey players, but also fans. You've had that experience. So when you said that you just recently met me, no, you didn't. We're part of a fraternity that have been around for hundreds and hundreds of years, and we just happen to not cross paths, but we're connected in a way that a lot of people don't. And I, what I mean by that is you can attest to this. 
you could go back to some of the cities that you played in Europe or anywhere in North America and bump into one of your players that you hadn't seen in, say, 30 years. Or for you, sorry, I would say 20 years, even 15 years. And you guys would sit down, have a coffee, have a beer, have a Coke, and it would be like you never left, right? You've, you've been hanging forever. So I think that's really important to understand that uh, we're a fraternity, we're a family. Uh, and I, I just, I'm so glad and honored to be a part of that. But when you talk about the peg, um, you know, uh, I love Winnipeg. Uh, there is probably no city uh, other than Winnipeg that I would have rather grown, grown up with to, in. But unfortunately, uh, my life took me elsewhere. But Winnipeg is always my home and always will be, uh, especially in, uh, let's say, June and July. I'll leave out the January, February part and uh, fly down to, a, uh, you know, one of the resorts. Uh, but the peg is something that when I grew up as a kid, as you know, I'm 62 years old. So I'm in the days of, you know, not playing indoors until I was about 11. Uh, everything was outdoors. I can remember as a kid sneaking out of the house. I lived in a, a townhouse with my parents. We weren't really affluent. We we were okay. Uh, my father, unfortunately, had a little bit of a drinking problem. So the house was a little scattered at times. My mother was absolutely the greatest person in the world. And she got me involved with skating. That's how I fell in love with hockey. Uh, she was a speed skater. I never had the money to go further in her career. She had an opportunity to go to the Olympics. In those days, you had to find sponsors or, or be able to pay for yourself. And she just didn't have the money. And so I... I I recollect it's two or three. I cannot verify this because my mother's no longer with me, but I know I've had this conversation. I was either two or three years old and she took me out to a park. It's called St. Patel Park. And it's an it's an figure eight. And I can remember it was a blusty, blustery day that it must have been because I know I was frozen like an ice cube. And she <laughs> took me out on these, you know, those speed skates, those long blades. And she put a, a scarf around her waist and I held on for dear life at the back I had those the, the two blades on each skate and I can remember just holding on and her wheeling me around this thing and it years went by wow. and I just loved it and because she was a speed skater uh, she taught me how to skate my mom was the person that taught me how to skate and then I just fell in love with the game and of course uh, Winnipeg was so good to me uh, we lived in a in a townhouse complex where my school was in between or uh, I had to walk past six outdoor rinks to get to my school. No way. And I can only tell you that a lot of my buddies, uh, we would uh, be walking to school with our skates and our school bag. And many times the principal would have to come over and drag us off the ice saying, guys, you have to go to class. So that was my first experience. My second part of that journey was um, I can remember being with my father, my father, my mother was more my father than my father, even though he was an incredible man at the end of his life. Um, she was the sports guy. My, my father wasn't very big in sports. He never played an influence. He loved everything about it, but he, he wasn't that typical hockey dad, you know, pushing me. He just gooch, just go out and have fun. And what was cool about him is he would show up to the rink, not knowing anything about it. It's outdoors. The thing he knew how to do was bring hot chocolate and, and take skates off and rub my toes in this hut that was called the dressing room of these outdoor rinks that had the old oil heaters. And you could just smell that oil and gas. And that is vividly in my mind, drinking hot chocolate, my dad rubbing my feet in those old gray socks, that the wool socks, and uh, time of my life. And that that allowed me 
to really truly get passionate and and fall in love with something that uh, is a love affair still today and i'm i'm blessed at 62 to still be a part of it yes of course gooch and i really appreciate that story man because to be honest with you that touches a part of my heart gooch because one of my main great memories as a kid, like how you just explained with the hot chocolate, is having hot chocolate with my grandfather watching Saturday night hockey. So yeah. I, I'm I'm just buddy, I'm on the edge of my seat listening to you because this is this is incredible, man. This is incredible and I appreciate it. So now Gooch, obviously like and, and your mother being a power a power skater, so she she was actually good a speed skater, I should say. Yeah. She was actually good enough to go to the Olympics? Well, she was a little girl. She was about five foot two with a lot of pee and vinegar. Uh, and <laughs> just a feisty little gal. Um, and, and what's her name, Gooch? Shirley. Shirley. Uh, she, uh, around the world, as you know, my nickname's Gooch. So I have Mama Gooch and Papa Gooch. And that's all the Germans used to call. My mom wasn't called Shirley. Everybody, hey, Mama Gooch, how are you? So it was kind of got funny because, you know, I this nickname came out of nowhere in winnipeg and it's hung with i'm better known in germany as either number 29 or gooch hey do you know carrie Gillette? who and so it's kind of cool that uh, the, the next thing for me though is the sheriff of course uh the next thing for me is i'm going to get a symbol yeah but what about mr ace hockey well you know what that's a that's a story that uh, let me just I'll, I'll, I'll wheel into that before. So as I mentioned, my mother was just this great speed skater. The family, they grew up in the depression. Uh, my mother was a millionaire uh, and, and when she was born. Uh, and six months later, she they were broke. Uh, my, my grandfather was a very, very wealthy man. Uh, and during the depression, he was Scottish and he built everything with his hands. Uh, so wow. my mother picked up that that instinct of being able to build. She was an incredible carpenter, believe it or not, at five foot two. And what happened to her is when she was married, they were very wealthy. And it was the time of the depression. She was born uh, in February uh, 4th, uh, 1929. And then we know what happened in 1929 in October, uh, you know, the Great Depression. And yes. my grandfather was told by everybody, you got to sell your properties. And it was such a... A, um, a staunch uh, Scottish, and he had this personality that just, I built this with my hands. I will not sell this. It's mine. And unfortunately, he ran into cash flow problems. He couldn't, he couldn't upkeep everything, and the banks took everything from him. So uh, they had to, obviously, in those days, everybody was struggling. And she fell in love with hockey or skating, not, not hockey at the time. Um, and became very good at it. And when they were required, you, you know, it's a little bit different than here now. Uh, a lot of the, a lot of the sports, you had to fund yourself to get to these levels. Now, you know, if you're good, somebody will pick you up and they'll put you in, the, you know, these different Olympic opportunities. And she yeah. was asked if she could. And what I re recollect is that they need about $15,000. And at that time, that's a lot of money for training, for materials, and, and travel, and they just didn't have the money. So uh, I just wanted to tell you about that. So as I went through my hockey career in Toronto, uh, in Winnipeg, uh, through the uh, Winnaqua Community Club, uh, which I, I, I owe everything because it gave me the, uh, the tangibles and the, the ability to understand the game 
Um, those uh, shinny games with when I was six, seven, eight years old with my brother, who's five years older, playing against, you know, 60 guys on these small little ice surfaces, you know, playing shinny, really honed my skills and gave me an opportunity to, to have some talent. Uh, then I got to AAA, which was great, uh, went off to the Winnipeg Monarchs, then through to uh, the Winnipeg Junior Jets. Uh, didn't get drafted. My draft year was 1979. Uh John Ferguson Sr. Uh, got a, uh, uh, a note from uh, my, uh, my agent or a good friend of mine, Fran Huck, and uh, said, hey, listen, would you be interested in Kerry? And they looked at me and they said, listen, if you don't, if Kerry Goulet doesn't get drafted, um, John Ferguson wrote back to the lawyer saying, uh, if he doesn't get drafted, we're interested in bringing him out to pre-rookie camp. And so yes. I got a chance to do that back in the old days. It was almost like they were looking for those diamond in the roughs of people around the city. And I didn't yeah. make it, of course, because it was in those days, it was the Broad Street Bullies, and I wasn't very tough. So uh, John Ferguson Sr. basically said to me, hey, you may, have, you may have some skill to be here, but you're just not tough enough. We need to toughen you up, so we're going to send you back. And I was devastated, didn't understand what toughness was. And that's how, over the years, I, I, I continued on playing, even though not playing in the National Hockey League. I played in the Cash League, which played for the Allen Cup. And I was blessed to win an Allen Cup in 1988. And that's how I got over to Germany. And that's where I got the name Mr. Ice Hockey, E-I-S. And I and also the Gretzky of Germany came out many times. Yep. And people, and I, I, I want to quantify or qualify what that meant. What it was is I was in a press conference with one of the journalists, and he was a great guy. And I have a, I have a, uh, a charity in Germany named Carrie's Kids, and it worked with Ronald McDonald's House and Kids on the Street. And we raised money for all different types of charities because I had a lot of time on my hands. And um, it was made reference, hey, you're like the Wayne Gretzky of German hockey. And he didn't mean it as a player. He meant it for my off ice. Your impact. But I never lived that down because guys would be saying to me, you think you're Gretzky? I said, well, I'm wearing the helmet and I tuck my jersey in the same. And uh, so I, I did have to live that down a little bit because guys, you know, thought it was me that kind of promoted this. But I never did. It's like, uh, listen, I was just an average show hockey player, got lucky, learned how to play the game and, and had a pretty good career over in Germany. But I just loved giving back, as we all do. You do a great job, too, the gifts you give to people that can't help themselves. So uh, Mr. Ice Hockey is because of a, a guy named Dieter Hartman out of Kiel. Uh, he's a, a journalist with a newspaper there. He was the one that launched that craziness. And, uh, hey, all advertising is good advertising. That's very true. So, no, Kerry, I cannot let you off that easy, my friend. Okay? Now, first of all, dude, you're a, you're a humble guy. Okay, we're going to get into the point totals because I'm a stat guy. So don't worry. We're getting into some numbers. Okay, so don't I just want to prepare you mentally for that conversation a couple minutes down the road. Secondly, okay, I want to talk about 1988 a little bit more. I want to talk about that being a time because you have to understand, Kerry, there is a lot of hockey players that listen to the show at all different types of levels. Now, in 1988, by my research and our conversations, you were the primary owner of a nightclub while playing for Thunder Bay, competing for the Allen Cup, correct? <laughs> uh, yes, that'd be true. Okay. Part owner, part owner, part owner. Part owner, part owner. Okay, so entrepreneur, 
playing for Thunder Bay, doing your thing. Tell me about Luke Nielsen. Tell me what he was doing and yeah. how he recruited you and how that all worked out, my uh, friend. That's a great uh, – thank you for a great question uh, because, you know, we all have a journey. And sometimes uh, – and, and in this day and age, you know, you can't tell – you can't make stories up, right? Everybody could Google it. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm one of those guys that have so many stories and sometimes I – I, I add a little bit of technicolor, you know, and not keep them just all gray and uh, gray and white. That that I got lucky to be uh, a, a fairly good hockey player, but also my mom was just one of those people that just said, uh, just go out and do. And listen, I got to grade twelve by passing grade six twice. I wasn't the <laughs> but yet there, there I was given something. And again, it's not arrogance. Please don't take it that way. I was given something because I was the valedictorian for. Uh, our, our senior high. Why me? Like I was a I was a C plus student, but the principal Sontag thought I just had this. Again, I'm not here. A little bit of charisma, not scared to talk, grab a mic and do all those sort of things. So somehow they asked me to do the valedictorian, and then I realized I had something. Meaning that I my father was very good at it. He'd walk in a room. And he was a very good looking, my father was a very good looking man. Um, and, and he would be that guy that would walk in. Nobody would really talk to him. because. And then all of a sudden when he got around to people, he'd say, hey, man, you look really good tonight. Your hair is beautiful. What a beautiful top. He was just really good and very sincere at making people feel comfortable. And I think he instilled that in me. And I think that's what helps uh, I agree. me along the way. And I mean it. Listen, I'm never going to say something that's going to hurt you. I'm always going to find, and my father always found some, even if you you were the most ugliest person in the world, which there isn't really an ugliest person in the world, but if he could find something and say it to you, my, what beautiful hair or whatever. And, and, and that in itself instilled in me to realize we all just want to uh, walk this life and, and make people smile and, and, and be happy. Because when you smile, on my story, I smile inside, I glow. So that's when I started to get into this entrepreneur stuff. All fell in my hands. Uh, we would, I'd have to write a book, and and Danny DeVito, don't forget, is going to play me in the movie. The, <laughs> the, 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 the stories are true, they're long, but this one I'll keep it short and condense it. My buddy was doing DJ work back in 1988. One and he had this small little DJ company with cassettes, and he'd be out there doing weddings and socials and all these mitzvahs and all that sort of stuff. And he needed a little bit of money, and I had a couple bucks in my pocket. He needed five grand. I gave him five grand. He said, "Hey, you're my partner." I said, "What do you mean I'm a partner? I'm a hockey player." No, no, you're gonna be my partner. I said, "I'm not gonna be a DJ." And on one weekend when I wasn't playing, somebody didn't show up to do it. And he said, Gooch, you got to go do it. So I went and pretended I was a DJ and did all that sort of stuff. And I actually enjoyed it, right? Put a music on, see people dance. And so I got into that. And through that in 1982, you're probably not old enough to remember, uh, Staying Alive hit. And it was with the Bee Gees. And it turned uh, bars that had live bands into it into discos. Disco hit big. And we just happened to be at the right place at the right time. And my partner and I wow. went to a bar that had uh, live music. And we asked the owner, could we steal your bar, uh, get rid of your live bands? And he said, his name was Colin Noble. He said, Gooch, Kerry, sure. I'm going to give you four weeks. You can put it in, put a mirror ball in. If it works, I'll sign a contract. If it doesn't, uh, first night we opened up, lined up for three years. It was ridiculous how successful wow. it was. So I was continuing on playing hockey at the time. I opened up the first 
dance club, factual, called Fridays uh, at the Travelodge Hotel in Winnipeg. And it was nuts, like crazy nuts. And I would play on the weekends only because the cash league was Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And I would have a manager. And I was a part owner. I had other people involved. And then eventually when that kind of died off, I got an offer in 1987 by a guy named Dick Davidson, who happened to be at the bar that night. I had just finished selling off all my assets. And he had said to, I, I had to play the music that night. And he popped in the bar. He said, hey, who did all this? And I just glowingly said, well, I, you know, I had a big part of it. Listen, I own a place in Thunder Bay. I just bought a Woolworths building and I would love you to fly out with me tomorrow if you can. And I'd love to show it to you. Do you have time? I said, sure. So the next morning, you know, he, he, he seemed like he had a few pot, drinks in him. He's there for a <laughs> hockey tournament. Well, yeah. hockey tournament. So the next morning he knocks on my door, jump in the car with him. I don't know this dude. We drive to the airport. We don't drive to the airport. We drive to the hangar. He's got his own plane. It's a little Cessna. So here I am going no to this flight in a private, and he was the pilot. So off A single went, engine Cessna? Yes, it was. And I had the green headsets on and all that. It was, a, I just fell in love with this dude. It was fantastic. Long story short, he had this Woolworths building and he basically opened up the door and said, if you were the artist, here's your canvas, what would you do? And I was in a bar down in the States and I saw this two-level bar that cut the middle out. So I just foolishly said to him, hey, Dick, why don't you cut the hole out and make this a two-level bar and you can have bands and disco and all that sort of stuff. And for God's sakes, the guy was an engineer. He did it. Within two weeks, he had the hole cut out and boom, the rest is history. And that's when I signed with the Thunder Bay Twins. He asked me to move to Thunder Bay and that's how I got the Thunder Bay. And on... On the night that we won the Stanley Cup, we had uh, Burton Cummings and McLean and McLean. Burton Cummings. The Allen Cup. The Allen Cup. What did I say? Stanley Cup. Yeah, it was the Stanley Cup to me. <laughs> That's the Stanley Just Cup. Just as good. Just as good. All right. Sorry. It wasn't Stanley Cup. I, I got to do a show. So I'm in uh, NHL mode. So anyways, I got uh, we won the Allen Cup. And yep. uh, the next morning, I got a phone call from a guy. Hey, I'm Luke Nilsson. Uh, I'm an agent uh, from Europe. Uh, I'm looking for some players that may be interested going and in, in, in play in Europe. And I, I found you. I just think you are the right guy, the personality, the way you play, your, you know, the speed, the score, all that. And he said, uh, I've got an opportunity for you to go to fight Scotland. And you would know where that is because you played in it. Uh, and I, I was so excited. I, I'm in. I'm going. Unfortunately, I had a girlfriend at the time who I had to consult with. I was 27. Uh, we, you know, owning the nightclub with this, with Dick and stuff. And we were doing very well. Things were going great. My relationship with her was perfect. And I went home and I, I was, as any young man, I was still young. Hey, got an opportunity to go play hockey in, in Europe. Uh, here are the details. When are you coming? And she said, no. I said, what do you mean? No, Gooch, you're, it, it's time. You know, we got to settle down. You got to get a, you know, you got a good job. I got a good job. Uh, she was a twin. She only had a mother. So she said, I'm not, I don't think we should do it. And I said, please, no, Carrie, I, I don't, I'm not going. So I had to phone Luke and say, hey, bud, listen, you know what? It's just not the right timing. It's not my, you know, I just, no, I can't go. So there's my shot at going and playing pro hockey. Well, three weeks later, phone rang. Now Luke's back in, he's from Holland. And he says, listen, I have got the perfect place for you to play. It's a little town called Eschweiler. It's on the border of Belgium, Holland, and France. And you will absolutely love it. 
and Germany, sorry. And you'll love it. And so me being uh, very, very well educated, I decided I would go to the library because I didn't have any maps at home. So in those days, don't forget, in 88, we didn't have the internet. So I went to the library and I opened up an atlas and looked through it. I couldn't find this little town called Eschweiler. And I was convinced right then and there, I'm going. I don't care what it does. So I go back to my girlfriend and explain it to her. And she said, no, I'm not going. And she gave me the ultimatum. You have to make the choice. You stay, we get married, and we go start a family, or you go, you go without me. And God, I'll tell you what, Sheriff, that was the toughest and quickest decision I ever made. I, I, I dreamed of playing in front of thousands and thousands of people, people chanting my name as you have, have had that opportunity in Europe. And I just said, listen, pack my bags, put them in the trunk, I'm leaving. And I virtually did that. It was that cold and hard and calculated. And I left. And she followed me uh, months later and absolutely hated it. And that's how, uh, I, you know, she she pressured me to come home, but I'd signed a two-year deal. And I just loved it. I, I got to tell you, the maybe the ego, but people shouting your name, chanting your name, buying your jerseys, asking for your autographs, going to charity events, doing the hospitals with sick kids. I never really got that much of it here because I was younger. But when I went over to Europe, I, I was their star. And man, I, I, I just loved it. Loved every minute of it. And, and Gooch, there is so many reasons why you would love every one of it because you had such a good experience over there. Now, Gucci, being this, being part one, okay? Yeah. We now on the storyline, this is when we first got to Germany. There's so much to tell about the next 16 seasons. There's so much to talk about. Before we finish today in part one, I really want to get in Stop Concussions Connected and the Australian Ice Hockey Classic. Whatever you can do, buddy, we got to talk about that because this is a platform for awareness. And if we're waiting for part two, we got to hear a little bit of this in part one, my friend. Well, okay. So, so what's really cool is again, we, as I mentioned, we all have journey. your journey. You and I sat. We could have with the Wayne Cali. We could have sat for days just talking about who we know and you know the separation, six degree separation. You know, it's not true. Uh, <laughs> I think it's more like um, you know two percent, two percent separations, two degrees. Because everywhere I go, I know somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody that I met, right. whether it's in Germany, Australia, uh, all around the world. And so that's what hockey is. Again, I I go back to the family part. I really think that um, um, my my life has really uh, been blessed, no question. Sure, I've had trials and tribulations that we all have. Uh, I've had loss and I've I've had wins. But my personal friend, uh, his name was Robert Belfort, um, at the age of 18, he was my best friend, my blind mate in junior um, he broke his neck in a, in a, in a swimming pool accident. Uh, he made a very bad decision uh, after being out all night. Uh, he went down to a, a city called Fargo uh, University town. The boys all went down. I couldn't go. And uh, he got drunk, uh, kicked open the pool of a Holiday Inn and dove in. And unfortunately, it was the wrong end of the pool. And that changed my life forever. And his, his, his mistake I look back and it was a blessing for me. I, I hate to even say that because what it allowed me to understand at a very young age that life is frail and it can change in an instant. And 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 it's 
was it an accident? It was a decision. Unfortunately, it was a decision under alcohol, but it wasn't an accident. It was, he thought about it. He broke the door in, he dove in the back of a pool. He's, he was left a quad. And that moment changed everybody's lives that was within his, uh, his wall. And it changed mine drastically. I would, I would go and visit. He had to stay down in uh, Grand Forks for several months. I wasn't on the trip, so I was probably more devastated than the other guys because I, I blamed myself. I thought if I was there, maybe I would have been with him and I would have said, hey, that's a dumb idea. Um, but it, it is what it is. And, but his, his trials and tribulations became mine. And then became my celebrations because I was with him all the time. I used to drive to the hospital on a daily basis when he was moved back back up into Winnipeg. And that gave me the foundation to understand that we've got to help those that can't help themselves. He couldn't do anything. He could only talk. He couldn't move anything. And there's your best friend laying in a bed. And I would have to go through the quad floor. And I'm not a martyr and I'm not, I'm nobody special. I just, my mother and father instilled to me uh, to be kind and give back. Because I know if it was me, he would have done it for me. And yeah. so I would go to this quad floor. And I don't know, uh, Sheriff, if you've had a chance to go and, and walk through a quad, quad floor. It, it is the most devastating walk you'll have in your life to see all these young men and women uh laying there with with paralyzed and not limbs that you know not are in positions that they shouldn't be and i would walk through that that hall and just every day count my blessings and i'd get to robert and the one thing crazy thing about robert is he never ever complained he never regretted a moment he never said uh, he never blamed anybody else and i think that's what really instilled in me i need to give back and that's where all of this learning uh, I was asked to do his eulogy, I, you know, and I've been away for many, many years playing hockey in Germany. And they asked me to do the eulogy and I got to, in, to back to Winnipeg and there were 200 people in, in the church. And I was looking around. I had prepared these notes. I had this long winded speech that I was going to give. And I got ready to talk and I looked around. I saw guys that I hadn't seen in 20 years that I played on junior with. And I, I just saw a lot of people staring at me and I was nervous. And I, I looked at the notes, I looked up and I put the notes back and I said, listen, these notes aren't appropriate right at this moment for Robert, because I'm going to ask you this question. Why are we here? Why did Robert assemble us here? And he had taught me a lesson and I didn't know I had that lesson until I was there standing in front of these people. And the lesson was this. It's not what you collect along the way on your journey, the car, the accolades, the scoring points. The, the women, the, the, the men, the, whatever it is that, that cranks you to do, it's what you give back that's your legacy. And that's what he taught me. And I think that instilled me to do that. And that's why I do what I do. And my mother was a, a big component of that. But I got to give Robert Bell for most of that credit. So that then brought me forward to doing all the charity work in Germany while I was playing. Listen, I was playing a game I loved. I was playing, you've done it. I can tell you, you've, you've done the charity stuff too. I love um, hearing it though. Please continue. I, I play a game. I play a game and I'm actually, somebody's paying me. Somebody's asking for my autograph. How couldn't yeah. I give back? So yeah. um, it was easy to do. It wasn't, it wasn't a job. It was fun and it was uh, networking and, and just having a good time, making other people have a good time along the way. Uh, allowing me to have a good time. And I think that's what's really important. When you find something that you love, something that you're passionate about, never take it for granted. 
Robert taught me that. Don't take any, tomorrow may not come. It may be your last game. It may be your last shift. So enjoy it. Uh, 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 enjoy it as, as you have it. So I think that's where it all came very visual to me that as a player, I could do more as a hockey player than I could do if I was maybe a lawyer or a dentist or a doctor, because people put us up on pedestals that aren't really deserved. And I'll tell you this True. one story, and I know I'm, 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 I think this is relevant to the whole thing, and I, I'll, it comes back to why I donated my time to shoot for a cure to stop concussions and connected mental health now, is because I've been blessed to play a game, as I mentioned, that I love. I was in a, as a Canadian, you know, when you were over in Europe, in, in Britain, you were asked to do a lot of things. So I was asked to go to a, I think, I think it was a grade seven class. They're just learning English and all the kids were in the group and they wanted me to talk about Canada and the snow and, and what it was like in January at minus 30. And I was <laughs> doing it and the teacher was great. She was translating for the kids that maybe, I don't know what grade seven is, but 12, 13, 14. And yeah. we're yakking back and forth. And uh, at the end of it, the teacher says, uh, does anybody have a question? And so this young girl puts her hand up and says, um, Mr. Goulet, wow, okay, I'm getting called Mr. I don't <laughs> ask you a question. Uh, I don't really, I, I, my dad is a big fan of yours. He watches you and I come to the games and, you know, we really think you're a nice guy. And I want to just ask you, why do you make more money than my dad? And I was kind of shocked and I looked yeah. at the teacher. I had no idea what was going on. And I looked at her and I said, I'm not sure how to answer this. So she had to ask in German, blah, 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 blah. Why are you asking this question? And then she said in German back to the teacher, my father's a brain surgeon. And he, I know how much he makes. And I know how much you make because it's always in the newspaper. So you're making more money than my dad. And so then she translated. I looked at this young lady and I said, what an incredible question. I turned to the teacher and I said, I'm not really sure how to answer this, but I'll do my best. And if I'm, I can't deliver properly, please step in and help me. And I said to the young lady, it's wrong that I earn more money than your father. Your father's put on this earth to save lives. I was put on the earth to entertain and get people to forget the, the, all the troubles and trials and tribulations they're going through, maybe for only 20 minutes to an hour to three hours. Your father will actually save lives within that time period. The only difference is, People will pay money to watch me go and do that. And that's why there's this excessive amount of money. And so it's not fair. And I, I really appreciate the question. It really made me think, and I think it would make anybody think, why would a professional athlete make more than somebody that's saving lives? It still, to me, doesn't make sense. But, hey, we all got to live and, and, and move forward. So that gave me the opportunity then to realize, hey, I've been, I've been absolutely treated so well in this game. Yeah, I had some ups and downs. Uh, I can give back. So when I got back to Canada, after suffering some very severe concussions, dealing with mental health issues, uh, being put into a psychiatric ward for, a, uh, 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 I think it was around a week, to deal with my concussion, which they had called depression, because back in the 80s, 90s, when I was really struggling, it was 1990, where I was really struggling with some depression and suicides and all that stuff that comes along with the package. Um Nobody understood. I didn't understand. And so uh, after I got through it as best I could, why wouldn't I give back? Why wouldn't I want you as a young boy or girl 
not to have to go through what I went through. And so that's how we formed Stop Concussions. And it was a really long and winded story, but the way it happened was I met Barry Monroe who was in a chair. He was running the Canadian American Spinal Research Organization. I donated my time uh, to that organization because of Rob in Robert's name here in Toronto. And um, that led me to meet Keith Primo and Jerome McGinley. Keith Primo, of course, suffered a career-ending injury. I was there for him through that time period as we were dealing with spinal cord injuries. And we then opened up or, or formed Stop Concussions in 2010. We wrote a book called Concussed to help players understand you're not alone. Uh, we're damaging our brains at an alarming rate. We're part of the problem. We've got to make sure we understand why we do what we do and educate the doctors and, and the coaches and people around us. You are the ones that taught us never give up, suck it up, play through the pain. And yet we can't do that with this injury. We have to take everything you taught us, throw it out, and you guys got to help us do that. Uh, you got to protect us from ourselves. And that's how Stop Concussions got started. Well, Gooch, I mean, this is some incredibly valuable stuff for everyone to know and that I, I'm so glad that I'm able to have a platform to create awareness for this. Your story is incredible. We're not even 20, 25 percent into it yet. You, my friend, have some important responsibilities. You have a pregame show with Gooch Live, do you not? Yes, I do. And uh, OK, well, listen, we got, hey, man, we got uh, hang on. I don't want to go. But we've got exactly. Eight, uh, seven minutes. Oh, am I ever excited about those words, buddy? Okay, right on. All right, so cool. Now, what I really want to get into, buddy, is yeah. we're going to go back into stop concussions, but I want to talk about when, at what point, Gooch, when you started playing in Germany, did you start really doing the off-ice stuff as much as you ended up getting into it? Like, Carrie's kids, like, 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 tell me about that transition. What a great question. Thank you. And, and actually, I got goosebumps as you say that. Uh, I'm a very passionate guy, as you know, and you are too. I wear all my emotions on the sleeves. Um, you'll, you don't see it in Canada, but you see it in Europe a lot. I played in a rink that had netting. They didn't, you know, they didn't have glass. So we played in a little town called Timmendorferstrand, right in the Baltic Sea, right up north. Beautiful. It would be like L.A. to us right? Not the same kind of weather, but it was called the playground of the rich for people that lived in Hamburg. All the rich people had housing there and it was a, a beach resort. And in the summer, it would be 150,000 in winter, 7,500. And everybody ate, slept and drank ice hockey because they didn't have a soccer team. In Germany, the five most popular sports are soccer, 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 and maybe nice. basketball. Yeah. Hockey was really down on, on the totem pole. But in Timmendorf, it was the only show in town. So Ooh. it was jammed every, every game. And so wow. I was uh, the player coach. Um, I'd already played two years in Eschweiler and then moved to Timmendorf. And I was doing what they call Aaron rounds. After a game's played – and hopefully you win. The fans are jubilant. They're crying. They're screaming. Bang, drums are banging. People are just, it's a party. They just, they just don't leave. They stay in the building for, you know, an hour at least. So they would take the nets off the, there'd be these clips and the nets, and they would hang on the boards. And you as a player would go around and, you know, give them a high fives, sign autographs, talk yeah. one on one, drink a schnapps. It was really cool. I, I'm sure it was very similar in, in England. Yes. Yes. 
So because I was a player coach Canadian, and my other I only had two imports. The other guy was a fantastic player, probably the best player I'd ever played with. He made me better. Because I was a player coach, everybody wanted a piece of the gooch. So I would always be the last guy because if I went at the front, everybody would be, you know, lagging. No disrespect to anybody, any of the players, but because of my personality and the other imports and personality, we sucked it up. Listen, you, you want my autograph? I'm signing it. So I would sign every autograph. And as I was coming around one of the corners, this was uh, uh, the second year in, well, I was in Timonor. I was coming around a corner, and as I was coming, a lady had grabbed my sweater and said, could you – could you talk to us? So I turned and my German was okay. And there was this young boy on, on the, he was white, very white, bald, didn't really, I it didn't, I didn't take a picture. I talked to her and we chatted. I, hey, how you doing? And that was it. Off I went. As I go into the dressing room, I sit down, I think, wow, that's, hmm, I, why did that moment happen? Sat, had a beer, all forgotten with her players. A couple of weeks later, same situation, coming around the corner. This lady, I see her, hey, how you doing? I, and as I go by, she says, oh, can I talk to you for one second? And I said, yeah, Carrie, you made my son's day. You signed a jersey or uh, a picture of it. It hung in his room. And I heard the word hung. And I said, well, I'm sorry, what, what, what do you mean? She said, I just want to let you know he passed away last night uh, with from leukemia. And it shook. It, it, I got I didn't even stay. I just, oh, I'm sorry. And I left and I went right to the dressing room and, and sat down. It was the first time I knew cancer had hit close to me. I'd never had cancer in my family or anything. And that's where I sat there for, I, I, was, I didn't even go to the press conference. I just, I couldn't move. I was kind of paralyzed. And and then I, you know, over the couple of days, I started thinking about it. God, how can this young boy be gone? It doesn't make sense. And so because of Robert, being involved with an accident, I knew about Ronald McDonald's house. And in yeah. the city I played, there was no McDonald's. There was one in a, a city called Lubeck, 15 minutes away. They're asking for more. I'll go more time. Well, yeah. like that, ten more the, the, the story, uh, uh, 10 more minutes, Gooch? Yeah, yeah, okay. So, awesome. Because this is a very relevant part because it's I'm not the only one that's been through this. I'm sure we've all had these experiences as what Robert, Robert came into my life for a purpose. This young boy came into my life for a purpose to set me in a stage of, you know, I was in Germany. You've been there, buddy. You know what's going on. I had everything. I had food, booze, parties, girl, cars, everything you want. And you, you almost think you're invincible and you're, you're bigger than everybody else around you. And thank God these things hit me because I could have ended up believing I was better than anybody else, right? Because I'm in yes. this little town, everybody's idolizing you when you won, when you lost, yeah. you won't. Yeah. And I, I realized I could do something about this. So I called the local Ron McDonald's, or sorry, the, yeah, the McDonald's store in Lubeck. And it was a guy named Hans Hanna that owned it. He owned four of them. Uh, and he was in the States. And I said, listen, my name is Kerry Goulet. Could you leave my number? Uh, I'd like to talk to him. And the lady said, sure. He got back a week later, called me and said, hi, I'm Hans Hanna. Uh, I know you're the hockey player up in Timonor. Well, why are you calling? I said, listen, blah, 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 blah. I was involved with Ron McDonald's house. I'd love to find out if I could help out in any way. And he said, it's just ironic you're calling um, I'm in the process of raising money 
to build a Ronald McDonald's in Lübeck, Germany. No way. So I said, listen, I want to do whatever I can do. Let's do it. So I've started these celebrity games where I would get every, every sports, every athlete wants to be a rock star. Every rock yeah. star wants to be an athlete. Yeah. But every rich person wants to be either one of them. So yeah. I found a way of connecting those dots and played celebrity games where I had all different types of players and uh, and magician, musicians come and play and rich people could pay to play. And then we sold tickets and it was called Carrie's Kids. And it it, it just exploded. Um, uh, Frau Carsonson from the Sick Kids Hospital, Lubeck, got involved. Uh, Hans Hanna was unbelievable. One of the sports journalists, Joe Busse, the other gentleman, Dieter Hartman that I had already mentioned, they all got involved and we raised crazy amounts of money and we were a big part of raising enough money to build a Ronald McDonald's house in, in Lubeck, Germany. And I tell you this story, not to say, oh God, you're Gooch, you're the greatest. What happened was Hans Hanna was so respectful, he took my jersey and hung it in the Ronald McDonald's house. And that's probably my most pride and joy of all the things that I did. Uh, Hans was just uh, truly, truly understanding of what it meant to me. That was worth more than money to, to be recognized, to help other people help themselves, especially young boys and girls who, who got afflicted with cancer and would not make it through the next day. Um, how, how couldn't you help? Right. And I know you you would do the same and you have done the same. That's how I got involved in the philanthropy of just, you know what? Everybody's out there is challenged. I'm just you and I are Bella S and we got to do what we do. And if I've got an extra my mom taught me this. You got you get you get a buck. You can give somebody 25 cents of it because, you know, you're going to do something good with it. 75. So if somebody doesn't have as much as you don't be afraid to give them something. So that's how the philanthropy uh, kind of started. Wow. So, Carrie, like this is this is even more impressive than when I had first heard about this, brother, because I didn't realize how early on you started this movement. Yeah. Right. Like it didn't take you too long to get Carrie's kids going to. You know what I mean? And then the fact that they were doing the Ronald McDonald house at that time, like that's almost like it was destiny. Don't you think? Yeah. You know what? That's a really good point, because you, you look back and. You know, uh, I've been asked to write memoirs and try because there's so many stories. Like, and you, we've all got them, but some of these stories are so beyond comprehension that there is a reason for it because it takes that next step takes you to the next one and then the next one. And if you keep putting your feet in front of each other, you actually move forward. So if you just stand there, if I just was a hockey player and came home being a hockey player, I didn't have a formal education. Uh, what would I do when I got back home? Right. And I ended up being there for a long time. And, you know, I came home at 41 and I really didn't have a future outside of being a hockey player. And not a lot of people in Canada need a 41 year old hockey player whose bones are all busted up. So I, I, I realized while I was there, I could do lots with my time. And that's how I think uh, these opportunities, we all have these opportunities. These opportunities are always there. You could pick left or you could pick right. You're going to pick something. So if you truly believe in what you want, and I wanted to be, a lot of people say I did it because I wanted to be the center of attention. Yeah, I like it. I'll be honest with you. 
yeah, you want to be the voice. You always want to be opening your mouth. Yeah, that's true. But if we didn't have people like that, we wouldn't progress. And I'm not any better than the next person. I just took an opportunity that somebody gave me. I didn't make it to the National Hockey League. But I was sent to Germany to do something. And from Germany, I was sent back here to do something. And so I got lucky. And, I, and I'm still blessed on all of the things that have happened to me, the good and the bad. There's a lot of good. There's a little bit of bad. That bad prepared me for the good. You all have heard it. You've said it probably yourself. Don't take the highs too high. Don't take the lows too low. Try and keep an equilibrium. Yeah, yeah, when things are really good, take a little advantage of it. When things are bad, because when it does get bad, you need to remember those good times to keep you going for more good times. And, you know, the last couple of years for me, as with everybody with the pandemic, have not been pretty. Um, and so I truly believe that you don't judge a book by the cover. You got to get inside the book. You got to read the story. You got to hear the journey before you make judgments. So when somebody said, yeah, Gooch does it because he's arrogant. And he wants to be the center of the tension. No, I'm doing it because Robert Velford couldn't be the center of attention. That young boy that had cancer that had passed uh, within my time frame, he couldn't talk for himself. So I was going to do it for him. Well, Gooch, that's the thing, because that's what it takes. I didn't want to interrupt you, bro, because it was so important what you were saying. But that's what it takes, buddy. It takes someone that's willing to be the center of attention to get the message out. That's what I'm talking about. Look at the percentage of guys that actually play in the NHL that turn pro, Carrie. It's not very high. Guys can really make an impact playing at different types of levels. You don't need to be an NHL guy to actually get some work done in these communities, right? So that's really the message that I want to magnify because I think it's unbelievable what you have done, what you're continuing to do, and what you're teaching others, Gary. And we need to be talking about this on as many platforms as possible, my friend. Well, listen, along the way came many good people. You can't do it alone. And I think what really instilled uh, all these... These are seeds that were planted many years ago, and um, you have to harvest the crop when it comes, but it needs watering. These seeds need watering. There were so many good people along the way that helped water it, right? And so it, 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 it comes from the, the term team. All those people, you played, you can't win a championship on your own. You can't make a huge difference on your own. So you need other people to believe in what you have. And if you show proper leadership, I always use the leadership one like this. A lot of people say, well, how do you lead? Here's how you lead. If you're getting on, if, if I'm getting you to be involved with me, I'm going to be the bus driver. You're getting on the back of the bus. Come on on. Here we go. I'm taking you. We're going to do this. So me as the leader, I'm the bus driver. The problem is, is that if I go in the ditch, you go in the ditch with me. So if you're going to pick somebody to be involved with, Make sure that person is true to the cause. And nobody can say that I'm not true to the cause. I love this. I love every minute about it. Uh, and I think as a bus driver, I hold that as an honor uh, to make sure that if I'm going this direction, they're coming with me, that I'm not going to deviate from what the plan is. You can't go on a trip without knowing from A to B how to get there. You need a map. And that's where I've been blessed with all these good people helping me build the map. Mr. Kerry Goulet, the Gooch, my new friend, friggin' Mr. Ice Hockey, yeah. right? Buddy, yeah. you are a man of many hats. 
I like I what I really want to get into is the numbers because I'm such a big stat guy. We are not going to have time for that, Mr. Kerry Goulet. You put up some really big numbers. You got some records. There's some really interesting stories that I'm I'm just foaming at the mouth and I'm hoping that the listeners are counting down the days to our part two, my friend. Well, you I, are going to come back, right? Yes, I'm, I'm more than honored. And I think and thank you. Uh, you know, numbers are just numbers, right? You can skew them the way you want and you could put them, you could make it uh, as great or as bad as you want to. And I think when I look back, uh, again, I have to keep things in perspective. Uh, the leagues that I played in, um, the people that helped me get to where I got, uh, they're just numbers. They really don't define the journey that I'm on. Uh, but it, it helped along the way be, because those numbers, when I reached certain milestones, they allowed me to do more and get more recognition so that I could utilize. And I think if I, if I could leave the listeners with something, I learned from Esa Tikkanen, um, who is, as you know, a five-time, five I think a six-time Stanley Cup winner. Six-time. Yeah. Six he taught me a very valuable lesson when I met him for the first time in Helsinki. Uh, we were doing a celebrity event. I got lucky to be on the ice with Yeri Curry, Esatikin, and uh, a bunch of other greats. And after the tournament was, or after the game was done, we were in the, I can't remember what it was called. It was in the, in Helsinki, and it was in, in an arena that was in the mountain. It was built in the mountain. It was phenomenal. So wow. Esa took us out for dinner, and we're sitting around, and he owned a shirt company. And he knew about my charity stuff that I was doing. And he had for me a present. Esatika had given me a present. Like I, I'm in awe just being around this dude. He comes to the dinner and he puts this shirt down on my table. And on the cuff. On the cuff? It's got the number 29. And I look and I say, wow, that's, how'd you know it was my number? Ah, Gooch, I knew your number. What, what does it mean? What does it represent? This will do you so much good. This will allow you to tell people your story without them thinking you're a braggart. So what do you mean by that? He said, look, when you sit down and you have your sleeve out and the number 29 is on your jersey, on your cuff, I can guarantee you nine out of 10 people say, hey, that's a cool shirt. What's 29 for? Then you can tell them the story. Rather than you coming and sitting down with the sheriff and saying, hey, this is how great I am. They're opening the door for to hear your story. And I'll tell you what, it was the greatest piece of advice. That's why my whole thing is called 29 Sports, because yes. of the fact that it allows me to tell the story without being a so-called braggart. And I think with the people that, that, that are watching this show, every moment is a learning moment. You may think I'm full of garbage, or they may think you're not a good guy, or you may, you know what? Take the good out of everybody, because everybody's good. Everybody is good. We're all inherently good. So if you can take all the good aspects of every person you meet and create your own persona from that, you will do better. You will you will make a difference. And just don't go out and try to make a difference. Make a damn difference. If you're gonna if you're gonna do what you do, try and do it the best you can. Because you only get one kick at the cat. Keep on doing what you do. Believe in what you gotta do, and it's gonna be. Look at us. Look what we do. We talk to a mic, <laughs> buddy. 
I am I am absolutely loving this. And just quickly, just so the listeners know, the number 29 was – Kerry's number was retired, number 29 in Germany, and that is the reference with the couplink. Kerry, this is unbelievable, man. I love this as a part one. People are going to be calling me and saying, when is the Kerry Goulet part two? And I'm, I'm going to be prepared for that, my friend. That's but I want to wish you the best of luck tonight, Yeah. right? Hopefully those Leafs can pull it off, yeah. all right? And I want to thank you for coming on, man. This is part one of the Kerry Goulet, a.k.a. Gooch, special on the Sheriff Podcast. And we're going to sign off right now, Kerry, unless you have one last thing to I say. I got one last thing I got to say. Since I met you and I watched your podcast, uh, who knew that we were doing this two years ago? Like nobody. I didn't plan this. You didn't plan it. I don't think you just said, hey, I'm going to be doing podcasts. But this world of, of us being able to share our story and people watching us on this and iPads and laptops, it has given us a true opportunity to allow people to virtually know you are not alone. You do not walk alone here. Nobody's going to judge judgment. And when I met you and we sat around that table and listened to your story, and I, I got a gift of the gab, but I had to listen to your stories because I was so intrigued by you and what you represented when you went over to England. Your story is just as as incredible as mine. And I, I can't wait for us to again sit down with Wayne Cowley. We're going to take an afternoon. And you and That's I right. and Wayne will tell the best stories ever. And from those stories, we will form a bond. Those stories will help others help themselves. So uh, the sheriff, thank you. Thank you for giving me a platform. Thank you for allowing to give my voice to people. And don't ever forget that this day forward, and the time I met you, we are going to do some incredible things together because we're going to make a damn difference. That's right, buddy. Together, we're going to change the world. And I absolutely love it, man. And I appreciate you coming on. And I want to thank the listeners for tuning in to another episode of The Sheriff featuring special guest, Mr. Kerry Goulet, a.k.a. The Gooch, a.k.a. Mr. Ice Hockey. Woo!